0: Welcome to Tech Talks, a podcast hosted by the Rotman Commerce Fintech Association about all things business, finance, and technology. This recorded episode took the form of a live virtual event at the University of Toronto. Welcome everyone to RegTech and LegalTech, an event hosted by the Rotman Commerce Fintech Association and the Rotman Commerce Law Association. Thank you all for coming and we will now get started. Just before we get into things, I am going to give a rundown of the agenda for today's event so everyone knows what is going on. For the first 10 minutes, which will happen till 10, 20 a.m., we are going to talk about the opening remarks and introduce our panelists along with the topic. After that, we will hold the panel discussion for 40 minutes with our three speakers for today. Where we will ask them questions, and they will lead the discussion. That is followed by a q and a for fifteen minutes, which leaves us at eleven fifteen roughly, and closing remarks for five minutes, which leaves twenty minutes from eleven twenty to eleven forty for networking if time permits, and if the speakers are willing to stay after. Um, so just to uh, get started, I will tell you more about myself. So my name is Mohammed. I am a third year student here at the University of Toronto, and I'm specializing in finance and economics. I am a part of the Rothman Commerce Fintech Association. I've been with them for over a year, and I am emceeing this event tonight
1: so, before we get started, I wanted to introduce what Tech Talk is. So, to brief and to give a brief introduction, Tech Talk is a platform which enables students to go beyond the course materials and lecture sessions to connect with topics that interest them. We host industry professionals to tell us more about a variety of topics from a breadth of industries. So, today's Tech Talk revolves around rec tech and legal tech. RegTech is a term used to describe technologically advanced solutions that have been transforming outdated regulatory processes in the financial services sector. RegTech solutions ensure that financial institutions are up to date with regulatory changes, minimize the likelihood of human error, and increase the overall governance process while also providing risk management tools. Today we will be hearing from our panel of experts, the ways that Rectech is transforming the financial services industry and how regulators can better support these solutions to make compliance more efficient and effective.
0: Thank you, Selena, for giving us a bit of background about Rectech and Legaltech. So this brings us to our panelists for today. Um, So we can begin by introducing them. I will start by introducing uh, Miss Laurie M. Clark um, and Miss Clark has over 20 years of capital markets experience and over 10 billion in direct budget oversight across technology, finance, banking, trading, operations, wealth management, startup sale, joint ventures and uh, M&As. Uh, Ms. Clark used to build trading systems, uh, is the founder and director of three fintech companies uh, in various industries. And she is the chair of various public companies uh, and a member of advisory boards such as Canadian RegTech Association and the TMX Advisory. Ms. Clark has experience in tech and regulatory policies from ESG reporting to AML, CTF, and KYC solutions. And industries from uh, financial markets to metals and oil and gas. Ms. Clark was twice awarded Top 100 Most Powerful Women in Canada in 2017 and 2019.
1: All right, so today we also have with us Brian, who is a global leader with over 20 years of executive experience in technology and business management. In the past 10 years, Brian has held both regional and global leadership positions at a global 1000 company. Brian also worked effectively in entrepreneurial settings and was part of the team that led an IPO for a family and private business on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Last but not least, we have Kaushik, who is a chartered accountant and a certified internal auditor with over 18 years of post qualification experience in internal audits, internal control audits of business process controls, and general IT controls. He is currently a senior manager of technology risk at MNP. And has previously worked at Deloitte and Loyalty One in various audit and risk management roles. So, those are our three incredible panelists, and we will now be moving into the panel discussion portion of our event. So, just before we get started, if anyone has any questions during the panel discussion, please feel free to put them in the questions tab, and during our QA session after our panel discussion, they will be addressed. If you have any more unanswered, questions during the q a or wish to connect with our panelists you may save them and ask them during the open networking session if time
0: permits great thank you selena so this brings us to the second part of our agenda which is the panel discussion we will start off by asking some general questions for all three speakers to answer so these questions are general and uh, can be answered specific to the speaker's experiences and uh After that, we will be asking one or two questions specific to the experience of every speaker. So the questions after the general questions will be directed to the speakers. Um, So we can start off by uh, asking the general questions now. Um, So to start off our panel discussion. We would like to ask our panelists to tell us more about their experiences in RecTech and what they are currently doing or have recently done in their role. Um, Maybe you can start with Lori and then proceed with uh, Brian Kaushik.
2: Of course. Good morning, everyone. And um, I'm really pleased to be here uh, on this uh, very dreary and wet uh, Saturday morning. and uh, what are what have I been doing? My goodness, uh, what haven't I been doing in the RegTech space? Um, there has been, uh, you know, RegTech has has become um, a real buzzword in the past few years. Um, you know, I don't look at it as regulatory technology per se. I'm, you know, everything to me is technology, and whether it's financial or otherwise, it's all technology. Um, there are a lot of regulations that have come to be um, come to the surface. And, uh, um, you know, because I, I was always involved in exchanges and trading systems, um, you know, my ex- expertise lends itself to the regulatory field. And therefore, um, I'm asked a lot to participate with companies that are coming up with really interesting solutions to some of these problems that we have today. One of the um, largest issues that has come across, that we've come across is... Um, you know, in the it, it, there are certain aspects of, um, of regulatory policy that is coming to light, and that is how technology is really running rampant and it's running away from the regulatory um, structures that are traditional and that seem to have a hard time keeping up. And therefore, you have this juxtaposed, uh, um, you know, problem, challenge where you have these wonderful technologies that are coming up. Uh, that are, you know, like identity verification and, um, you know, uh, being able to bank digitally and being able to bank, um, you know, without being known that you're banking in various securities, um, you know, absolute transparency, absolute uh, uh, anonymity, uh, you know, everything sort of hits and collides and you have regulators that are uh, having a hard time keeping up. So I think that that's going to be the... Conundrum going forward
0: Thank you, Lori. That was uh, great. Um, maybe we could proceed um, with uh, Brian and then Kashik's answers. Brian would you like to go first? Good morning.
3: Um, my name is Brian Chan. Uh, I have uh, been in the tech business for over 25 years um, like trained as a in computer science and uh, happens to be a uh, a Rotman MBA to, uh, Alumni. Uh, before it was, I went, I went there before it was Colorado. So, so you guys are lucky <laughs> with a, with a well named school. Um, in the past uh, many years, uh, specifically probably in the past tw- uh, maybe 15 years, um, I have been in, uh, in roles, in a particular role for a $26 billion company, uh, being the head of their global head of their corporate services uh, technology group. Like part of the portfolio is managing the um, the information security function, as well as the compliance of uh, global regulations from export um, control to uh, data privacy. It happens to be the like I I happen to be uh, running the unit uh, while the European uh, uh, GDPR was uh, negotiated and, and eventually finalized. I also had the the fortune of uh, being involved in two uh, successful IPOs, one in Canada in Toronto uh, on the TSX uh, in two thousand and five uh, as a CIO of a family-owned business, uh, as well as uh, in recent years. Uh, in in twenty eighteen, I was involved in a, in an IPO in the main board of the Hong Kong Exchange for a mid-sized garment manufacturer as the chief administration officer. Uh, both of those experience like uh, focuses on uh, how to get um, the the overall compliance um, obviously with the regulators with the with the stock exchange, as well as the the due diligence being done by the the, the law firms, the accountants, and um, it's been a very interesting process. We're happy to share some of the, the some of the experience as we progress through the uh, this uh, session. So um, nice being. Uh, part of this uh, event again um, for for a second time. Thank you. Kasey, over to you.
4: Thank you. Great, uh, excellent for setting the stage, Lori and, and Brian, and and happy to be here on the panel. Um, you know, I, I would say this is my my third with RCLA and the first with Uh, RF, RCFTA. uh so it's a pleasure being here. Um, I think you know both Laurie and and Brian. They hit the nail on the head. Uh, te- technology, technology is the buzzword. Technology is what is is moving so fast. And 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 to be honest, I mean, uh, I've been I've been taking a look at technology controls, uh, you know, ever since I came here to Canada. That's in two thousand and five. Um, and and what I've seen is that there's a rapid expansion and growth of technology, and technology is being used everywhere. Um, the in in the in the fintech uh, and the and the rectech world, uh, you know, as you can see that, uh, you know, think the 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 goal is to get things, you know, to customers faster, right? And and when you do that, you know, how, how do you how do you ensure that you've not missed anything? So things have changed rapidly. Uh, you know, again, uh, you know, uh, buzzwords like uh, AI, artificial intelligence, you know, robotic process automation, uh, that has come into play. Uh, and and that has mushroomed uh, significantly over the last few years i mean if you take a look at bitcoin i mean i would say that you know that that's another piece of tech that is that is also uh, booming so m- my role in all of this is is to take a look at those technology controls to know you know uh, what organizations should be thinking of in, in implementing these these controls over technology to make sure that... I, I think of it like this. I mean, you know, when you're building a Ferrari, one of the most important things uh, in that, obviously, is the engine because that's going to make the car fast, but equally important are the brakes. You better have good brakes because if you're traveling at 300 kilometers an hour, uh, you want to make sure that you, you can stop, uh, you know, when you're supposed to. So, um, you know, again, I think in the last three years, I've, I've seen uh, the, the industry booming a lot.
1: Yeah, it's so great to hear all of you guys' experiences. Uh, So my next question, a more general question, could you briefly explain the regulatory landscape in Canadian capital markets and the key regulatory obstacles that buy-side and sell-side firms face? And how does RegTech and LegoTech help firms meet these regulatory requirements? Um, Brian, would you like to begin by answering this question and then we can have uh, Kaushik and Lori sure
3: um just a disclaimer i'm not a lawyer by, by profession so obviously uh, and and have been uh, away from the the canadian scene for 12 years in a, in the last 12 years i've been uh, living in asia and uh, in the us um so i, I think generally uh, speaking regardless of capital markets and banking uh, in in finance or in the legal profession um the biggest challenge today you, you fundamentally um you got to look at the whole information life cycle so it's regardless of industry. You start from the, the life cycle being from the collection of information, uh, whether it's personal information and corporate inf- information, to the verification of it, to the storage of it, where a lot of regulations and, and uh, legal issues uh, surround where physically data should be placed, like health data, for example, and then to like to the ongoing like access and update of it, like like from complying with freedom of information. To like, uh, like where data is being physically stored. To like the GDPR uh, in in Europe, the requirement of being able to to allow the the owner of the information, like the consumer, even to verify and and ensure you're storing that information accurately. And to the to the ultimate, like disposal, like how long should you retain it by law, and also comply with the danger of uh, legal discovery, right? to how you like dispose of it, physically destroy it, right? And this whole information life cycle, it underpins any regulation of compliance. If there's one thing like I I would suggest this group to take away from from today is, whether it's reporting compliance and what you do, right? Your ability to, to meet like regulations and legal and regardless of the technology, is only as good as the accuracy, and accessibility, and the timeliness of the data. Like underneath, right? But let me use an example. Like today, like when you collect personal information, right? How do you like in in the day of like cyber security and identity identity thefts? How do you ensure the person who submit in a long origination submit a form, like it claims he or she is is actually he or she is, right? A lot of countries, particularly in Asia, like China, and particularly re- recently, is a big discussion in Hong Kong, um, in many of the Southeast Asian countries. Like they, they have this thing about the real name registration for even uh, uh, cell phones. Like this is to counter the online scams and spams right, that are happening. So I, I, I would say, like like foundationally, if the data is not good, then your ability to comply and report. Diminishes uh, significantly, and I would say, like having been in, in, like worked for two Canadian banks for sixteen years, the biggest challenge of financial institutions are the fact that they have a lot of legacy data about customers. Back in the days when technology is not that advanced, like right? like one of the banks, I won't name the bank, right? They're, like probably had three or four profiles on myself, having banked with them for uh, over thirty years, right? And they can't link those uh, profiles together. Right? There's one life co- insurance company I called recently. They couldn't, they, they've been deducting money from my, my account for many years. They couldn't find a policy that caused that deduction. Right, that there that, that lies the challenge of some of this data and accuracy in the linkages of the data. Right? And with that, I think like the person who's most familiar with capital market is probably Lori, like Over to you, Laurie.
4: Yeah. Um- I, you know, I completely agree with Brian and he made a lot of good points. He made he made good points about, you know, private information, confidential information. And, and you know, what I've seen over the years uh, that, that's been uh, growing a lot in Canada is, it, uh, in, in, in addition to what Brian mentioned about, you know, in, ensuring the data is complete and accurate, ensuring that the data is stored properly. And there's, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of my clients, what I'm seeing is they're even interested in knowing where that data is going to reside you've got a lot of these cloud uh, you know companies amazon and uh, you've got microsoft azure you've got google uh, th- these are big companies and when they actually started their cloud operations they had data centers in many parts of the world when the when the privacy regulations in canada were getting stricter uh, a lot of the a lot of companies in canada they were concerned and and they they wanted to make sure that the the information is not the data is not leaving canada so these these cloud companies had to, you know, uh, adapt, and, and they had to make sure that they had data centers in Canada, so the data is in Canada, and 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 that was a huge uh, a huge challenge. But uh, they were able to overcome it. And uh, um, you know, um, <clears throat> when when we were talking to our clients, and when they had concerns of privacy and 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 uh, the GDPR regulations, uh, we were we were getting them to uh, ask asked their their, their cloud providers, you know, where's the data? Where, where are you storing the data? Even if it's not a big uh, cloud provider and it's a smaller cloud provider, uh, what they were doing is, you know, they were finding it cheaper to have to host their data centers in, in the U.S. or, you know, outside uh, Canada because of the uh, the, the cost of traction. But then, uh, you know, just because of those limitations, um, you know, the clients wanted to make sure that the data is stored in Canada. So, <clears throat> you know, those are some of the things that I've seen, you uh, uh, Taking uh, taking off. So, how do you you know how how fast can they decommission those systems and and how fast they can they can change all of that? Because it's a huge cost, right? So so that's the reason you've got you've got you know the, you've got the legacy applications, you've got the legacy systems, and then you've got new technologies that are being built on you know, more modern systems. So then all of a sudden you've got data that's dispersed into various different platforms. And, and therefore you've got the, the challenges of making sure your your gold is pure. I mean, it's, it's really 24 karat gold and it, it's not uh, infiltrated. So um, some of those challenges uh, that, that I've seen as well.
2: Well, thank you, Kaushik and Brian. And, and you both make really excellent points. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take the, the student body here out of the weeds and bring it up uh, uh, over to a little more of a, of a higher uh, vision and, and, and understanding. <clears throat> it's funny that you ask about the Canadian regulatory landscape because that's one of our courses actually for um, uh, Smart Direct um, and uh, for the uh, SUI uh, which um, is an institute uh, and a compliance system and um, and we uh, we license traders and brokers and, and um, uh, securities um, uh, support uh, personnel across uh, North America. And uh, one of the challenges in Canada has always been its regulatory landscape because it is so fractured. Um, it is, you know, there are over 13 bodies that regulate the landscape here in this country. And they don't speak to one another very well. And they continue to be very um, empire-driven uh, and very uh, fiefdom-oriented. Uh, and so you have the provincial regulators, you have the Bank of Canada, you have the self-regulatory bodies, which are uh, the, you know, the, IROC, the uh, um, um, IROC and you have MFDA. And you also then have <clears throat> um, the OSC, the uh, Ontario Securities Commission, the BCSC. You have the Alberta Securities Commission, which actually is, is uh, quite powerful in the insurance space. And then you have the Alberta, uh, or rather the um, Saskatchewan uh, Commission, which um, actually has the biggest purview, which people don't understand. It actually has the biggest purview in all of Canada because it, it actually, not the biggest power uh, but it actually has the biggest um, authority because it extends itself over everything, um, and then you have the L'Autorité uh, Marché Financier, which um, has a lot of branches that it it, uh, it, it oversees uh, in Quebec, and so you have all of these bodies. And you know they say that the MFDA and IROC is going to merge soon, and and I've been trying, you know, I've been uh, hearing that for the past twenty years. And so I don't know if it'll ever happen in my lifetime. I'm hoping they are discussing it at the present time. And I I keep getting papers sent to me about how they're going to do it. Um, However, um, you know, it is going to be a monumental task. And with a lot of, um, um, you know, a lot of people that aren't going, they they really are, um, they have their own particular wants and desires that they want to see to fruition out of this uh, merger shall we say. And so there are competing um, entities here. And also you have, so you have this fractured and very um, um, uh, competitive landscape of the regulatory bodies. And then you have the technology companies like ours You know, I mean, I built a a trading system and a clearing and settlement system. Um, And so, you know, in those days, it was a data file software that then was bought out by ADP in 2003, and then now it's known as Broadridge, which everybody in Canada sort of is on. And so that's one of the better known things, but you know, now that we're doing AML and KYC with CanCheck Corporation, which we go right against um, uh, Refinitiv with and WorldCheck, and and then we've got the ESG uh, platform or solution uh, where we're, you know, so we've got Identity Verification, we've got ESG, we've got AML. All of these technologies are doing extremely well. They are, um, you know, They are meeting the gap in the marketplace where uh, the banks, to Brian's point, to Kaushik's point, where the banks are lagging. They have these legacy systems that are traditional that will not compete with with the the needs of today's market. They are cumbersome. They are uh, behemoths in size. Uh, they do not respond well, they cannot you know, speak to one another. I mean, trying to API into a legacy system, it takes what? Three months in order to come up with the solution. Whereas an API going to today's marketplace like ours, we have it done in like two days. Um, so there are competing elements here. And the regulatory landscape in Canada doesn't make it easy. It's just like right now with the vaccine. Here's a perfect example. Here's the vaccine, and we can't get it approved. You know, <laughs> it's not only about the logistics of keeping it here in Canada and manufacturing it, maybe in Canada, that would be nice, but to actually have the approvals in place in order for it to advance itself, so that we have more than one solution. And yet, the regulatory bodies in that field are, you know, have competitive elements that are, you know, slowing the process down. So there's always going to be unfortunately in this country a real um uh, a real um, um juxtaposed position between the regulatory uh, policies and the technologies that are driving the advancement and pushing the banks to change uh because if they don't they're going to falter no they're not going to falter tomorrow but it is they are going to falter eventually and that's my point of view
0: <laughs> thank you um i'm this has been insightful. And uh, just to remind anyone who has any questions, uh, I'm sure there's a lot to ask about here. Uh, to just ask it on the right side of the chat, there's a question section and you can ask it um, during the Q&A session. And that is where we are going to look for questions. Um, and as to follow up uh, on the next question for the discussion based on what you guys have been saying. so uh lori mentioned that there's over 13 regulatory bodies um, adding a breadth to the competitive and tech landscape of uh, compliance in regtech uh so Fintrack and other government agencies around uh, ex- uh expound several kyc and aml um requirements that many financial and legal firms must abide by for a range of financial activities from account creation through to lender due diligence. For those of us who aren't familiar with the rec tech and legal tech industries, these requirements often seem inefficient, bureaucratic and cumbersome. Uh, Lori mentioned uh, that the competitive uh, landscape is a reason why that is. And Kaushik mentioned the laws getting stricter. Um, and Brian also mentioned that their reasons are link- to link profiles and identify Uh, verification uh, of the identities of people. Um, Could you elaborate more on and explain briefly what the imperative for KYC and AML rules are and the scope of the money laundering and fraudulent activities that government agencies and rec tech firms fight against? Um, Maybe we can start answering this question beginning with Kaushik followed by Lori and Brian.
4: Okay. Um, So, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not a lawyer or or I'm not uh, deep into the compliance world uh, into these regulations. But what I can say, uh, you know, again, going back to this particular client of mine, and again, I don't know if I'm going to answer the question, but I'll I'll, I'll put you know some 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 thought in in, in your head uh, just to know how these things work. Uh, so this particular client, uh, they were building uh, a KYC tool, as I mentioned, because you know the goal was to be able to uh, you know authenticate or or authorize that 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 particular individual and and, and know that the individual actually exists and it and, and he or she is who they say who who or she is. Now. They were so engrossed into building that that platform, that um, and and you know one of the things. So apparently that organization started as an offshoot. Uh, somebody in the bank, you know, who thought that uh, you know this is a great product the banks are struggling with, uh, decided to form their own company. You know, partnered with some other individuals in the in the space, and and then they they, they were building this platform. And one of the requirements of the bank was they wanted to know. Uh, you know, what sort of an internal controls framework do they have in place to ensure that whatever they're doing can be trusted upon. So when we uh, got into uh, the uh, organization, I mean, we were engaged to help them with the internal controls framework. And what we found is that they were doing great on the software development, but then there were some obvious things they missed. For example, you know, when we walked into the office, uh, they were receiving, you know, some of the, the transactions or some of the information they were receiving by paper. And when the folks left for uh, their homes you know, after work, that paper was left on the desk. So all of a sudden, you've got, you've got tech, but then somebody didn't really think about if that paper got into somebody's hands that was not supposed to see it, then all of a sudden you got leakage of private data. So yeah, what I'm going with this is, you know, it's great to have tech, but then remember that the human factor is an important factor as well. Uh, you know, obviously we need to have some governance in place, uh, making sure that we're hiring the right individuals and then not just hiring them, but they are training those individuals as well, right? So that, uh, you know, yes, they should rely on the tech, but then there are some exposures that they, they should be thinking of. So again, I, I don't know if I answered your question, but I, I thought I'll, uh, you know, put some things in your head uh, just to think about when you, when you know, when you get involved in this world.
2: And thank you very much, Kasha. Because it is important that you you mention the human element. But I am gonna, I'm going to give um, a little bit of a different answer uh, to this question. I'm gonna, I'm going to um, um, uh, be a little more provocative, I guess, in my response. In that, um, you know, I deal with Fintrack and, and the compliance aspects of questions every day, and uh, with AML and KYC. Uh, and can check and we have over a hundred FIs, financial institutions on the system. And um, I'm going to tell you that in Canada a lot of it is really not necessary. It really isn't. This is a, a check the box exercise in most of the time. It really is and I'll tell you why. When was the last time that out of my 100 FIs did a terrorist come and open a bank account at a small private office um and a wealth management uh, um, professional sitting there and saying okay i want to open up an account and you know i i know most of my customers right i know most of the people that are going to be handled The portfolio manager or the advisor tends to know their customers tends to know who he or she is dealing with so the fact that, you know, that we're trying to stop terrorist activity, you know, in this country, at this level, nah. What it is, is the regulators, sort and FinTrack especially, uh, sort of saying, well, let's make it so that we can say that we are doing this in the best way possible. And let us protect our institutions to be able to say that we are doing this and we are actioning these items in the best way possible. So, are we stopping? And there's the biggest question. This is where the where the the ethical um, the ethical consideration comes in. Are we stopping terrorist activity by performing these ticking the box functions? Are we, you know, being able to say, <clears throat> okay, I've got a system. It allows for identity verification, which, you know, CanCheck is doing, and, uh, and it allows for uh, credit checking, and it allows for um, being able to, um, um, you know, it, it allows for sanctions and PEPs and HIOs and uh, CTOs, uh, you know, uh, cease trade orders, uh, which a lot of people don't understand why you would have to have, um, you know, a compliance check on CTOs. And uh, you have adverse media and you have all of these um, different databases that you can check against uh, so that you, can, you have a better feeling that whoever is in your area, you know, that you're doing business with has complied. However, the more ethical question is, so you've done all of this work. If a terrorist is going to come into our circle, they are still going to get around these obvious, um, you know, uh, uh, compliance checks, okay, uh, and on the bank side, I mean, ser- seriously, the bank doesn't, they they check everything out, you know, a billion times, and they know the customers that they are dealing with, and still, and still, um, you know, as HSBC got into a kerfuffle, and so did City and whatnot, they still have a lot of problems, and it has, Nothing to do with the checking. It has to do with human error and how they take data out of the environment. And then, you know, do they do it willfully? Do they do it by accident? That's always the the the, the information. I mean, Desjardins, the person, uh, did you know, walk out with a lot of information? With uh, IROC, the person did walk out uh, mistakenly with a briefcase, um, and the car got stolen. The briefcase was in there with 27 million records of uh, personal information. Um, They are embarrassed by it. um, So it's always the human element that causes distress. Um, But as to FinTrack and their policies, do they stop uh, terrorist activity? Mm, I don't think so.
4: Yeah, (laughs) it says in Canada, we're we're, we're lucky to have minus 50, you know, I I don't think that (laughs) they would be like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
3: Let me let me try to uh, address the three aspects you like. Muhammad, you, you mentioned earlier the inefficiency, bureaucracy, and uh, and and the uh, uh, cumbersomeness of the uh, like of sorry, the the uh, regulatory and legal environment. First of all, the bureaucracy aspect is is a creation of the, like largely government and regulatory bodies most of the time they are a reaction, uh, perhaps an overreaction to events that happen. I'll give you a few examples, like uh, Sabine Oxley that, that uh, like goes back to the, the crash in 2008, and then the uh, the US Patriots Act uh, around the financially supporting terrorist activities. Um, and then to, to, to all these uh, sanctions imposed by governments on export and import. Like all these are brought on by like events that happen, and and as with uh, I I happen to have a public service career in the Ontario government in in, um, in public safety and law enforcement, and anytime legislation like this uh, 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 created, they tend to be over right? They 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 try to plug every hole they think is uh, possible, and and as such, create an environment. And that, that's something that like, uh, you, you can't really debate and argue with, like added on by the, the complexity of the geopolitical environment, different countries now like imposes different rules. And those are like, neither here nor there, if you operate in a certain country, in a global company, right? just like it, protection of information privacy like, takes on very variations in different countries. And it drives the the the, the, the systems that are being created crazy. So so that that is something that we have to learn to live with. Um, the inefficiency and cumbersome cumbers uh, some aspects are uh, a function of some of the, the more established the organization the companies are like particularly the banks the insurance companies they all been existed for many 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 years and have been making very comfortably uh, money. Uh, having worked for banks for many years, they used to say, "Like the bank takes takes your money these days at almost zero percent, and they land it out at three or four percent. It depends on whether you're buying a car, or a house, or, or so. And they just set all the money and, and and it generates profit, right? So there is very little incentive to to improve. Like given that banks are still getting a banking license, particularly in the Canadian environment, is is very." Uh, a very very like uh, high uh, barrier to entry into, into the financial services industry so the like most of the, most of the, the big five or six banks in canada as far as i know like at least a good chunk of their foundational online banking systems are like about like at least 40 years plus old um and and they're only putting a veneer on top of in the in the age of digitization to appear to the consumer right that they're friendly like mobile apps and all the, all these are veneers to a like to a foundation that is very old and that manages islands of information right and it makes makes so every time the government imposes a regulation they have to they have to like account for the fact that the banks are not as agile to change so they have the lot time for transition. So in the process, you see some of that inefficiency and, and cumbersomeness right, coming, coming through. Now, fortunately, uh, it's not going to be doing, it may take, take a while, uh, it definitely won't happen probably before my retirement, um, is that you, you have like some of these disruptors uh, that are coming out to name a few, right? Uh, Robinhood, right, in the capital markets, right? They're coming out, they're different business model, A little bit controversial recently with the (laughs) game shop thing. Um, And you also have PayPal, right? Uh, To give an example, like to uh, having work in the US and overseas, like uh, there are bills to be paid in Canada uh, often involve me transferring money internationally, right? The transaction itself, like as far as technology is concerned, probably only takes seconds, right? But it would take days for money to. Like from time the money could take out of your account, the money arriving at your account will take days. Now companies like PayPal, like PayPal actually had a, a transfer service, that could have money like, like taken out from a U.S. account arriving in Canada, like in like 24 hours. So, like if I do it through any of the U.S. bank, it will take three days, right? So some of these disruptors are coming out, right? That is like they are they are offering better foreign exchange rate and cutting into the bank profit. Hopefully that will wake up some of the more like the, the big banks remain some of the some of the organization that would transform our future. Like they have the resources and the talent to do that. It only probably takes a like somebody to sh- like shake up that environment. And history would tell us like the likes of Apple that, uh, that ate, ate the lunch of a uh, like uh, blackberry uh, rib right like history would tell us that that could happen and of late right in china a very a very publicly uh um ipo almost closed ipo that got canned by the chinese government is the Aang group which is the uh, a subsidiary of the of alibaba they were disrupting the, the chinese financial market so much that it scares the regulators it scares the banks like somebody like that would happen in North America, in Europe, like some companies would come up, right, like would, would like cause the like inefficiency, the cumbersomeness and even the bureaucracy to adapt to the science of the time. But for now, like the world is not a safer place. The world is a dangerous place. So all the like cybersecurity, cyber threats and all the money laundering, terrorist activities. Like for now, some of these regulations uh and bureaucracy are essential to protect the safety of the world so so um so like you are this group of like from uft is of the next generation of people who have an opportunity to 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 disrupt and that system environment for the better hopefully
0: um so now we will be moving on to a more specific question for each speaker um, it is 10.55 a.m. It seems that we will be um, going a bit over time for this part of the agenda. Uh, however, there's uh, definitely a lot of uh, things to cover. Um, so so we will be uh, moving on to the personal questions specific to each speaker. Um, so starting uh, with the, the first question for Lori, um, it is important to mention that there is a rising trend of implementing ESG metrics, whether from government-mandated legal regulations or internal company goals. Uh, it is important to touch on this topic uh, and address it because an estimated 30 trillion of assets are invested worldwide that rely um, in some way on ESG information. So this one of the main goals is to contribute to uh, leading a future with lower emissions. And this goal is directly relevant to the oil and gas industry. that being said, different agencies define different standards for measuring ESG performance. In your experience with uh, ESG reporting solutions as the founder of Onion Corporation, specifically in oil and gas, what is the role of regtech um, solutions in the market, such as defining data to bridge the gap between ambiguous uh, or regulatory ESG standards and internal compliance of such businesses in the sector?
2: Well, okay. Um, thank you very much, Mohammed. And um, um, okay. If we thought the regulatory landscape in Canada was uh, complex, Um, in trying to address some of the issues um, uh, that prevail in this country. And, uh, well, you haven't seen anything yet. ESG, so let me simplify ESG uh, for everyone out there because this is going to be your world. This is, I am dealing with it in a very specific way but this is going to impact your lives and how you conduct your businesses in your lifetime esg very simply is the method by which investors will now lend money so that's it okay at the very crux of all of this buzz and all of this activity and all of this stuff that's going on around esg which is environmental social and governance for those of you do not know what it stands for it is all about a financial institution or a private investor or a vc company saying where am i going to invest my money do I want to put it into a company that has its, uh, treats its company, you know, its staff well, uh, that looks at the bottom line, but also does it in an ethical and concerned fashion? Or am I going to put it into a company that absolutely has, um, that has no regard for anything or anyone out there in the, you know, in nature or its staff and still makes money? And still makes money. So there are, it is really coming down again to ethics and morals and how we want to conduct our businesses and how we want to spend and invest our money. So that's what ESG does. That's what it's supposed to do. In regulatory policies and in regulatory landscape, we have two forces. You have The standards bodies that come out with all the rules, these are all the policies that you have to do, and there's over 23 of those, okay? And some of them are PRI, GRI, uh, the CDP, the Carbon Disclosure Project, the UN Global Compact, um, you know, and SASB. Um, There's tons of them. There's over 23. And they are trying to, you know, combine some um, uh standards then you have on the opposite si- side of the spectrum you have the ratings agencies now who are they? Well they're the Dow Joneses the Blackrocks <clears throat> the um, the um, um, uh, Bloombergs they rate the company so what do we do well we're, all we're doing is we're helping mining metals and oil and gas now in oil and gas it's mandatory. they have to disclose their performance Um, and they are obligated to do so unfortunately in mining and metals they do not only in Europe presently are they um, obligated to do so mandated to do so North Americans they're still pushing for that and we're getting closer to mandating it what is happening though is the investors themselves are pushing the agenda forward and that is what's driving everyone towards disclosure so you have the ratings agencies that are scoring based on what the standards bodies are saying you have to report on. And you have very, again, you have, these are, um, these are very large entities. These are very large corporations, very influential corporations. And so you do have, unfortunately, some bureaucratic tendencies again, because they're so large. Um, You know, if BlackRock, if the CEO of BlackRock says something, the markets move. Markets do move based on what Larry says. Um, And so you have to, you know, so companies are looking at this in oil and gas. And oil and gas, I'll tell you, even though they're mandated to do so, they are so behind the times. It's like it's like back in the 1980s. Or the uh, banking institutions where everything is done by spreadsheet. There is no automation. It is it behooves me. It is incredible to me that I have stepped into a an industry where it is so behind the times when it comes to technology, and I'm not used to it. Um, so I, I, you know, having a, a system that helps them to, you know, through integrated. Um, capabilities with APIs and whatnot where we're plugging into their internal systems and we're taking people out of the equation so that we can grab their metrics, their performance measurements right from the source uh, so that at the mine site or at the, um, at the um, uh, you know, at the actual um, uh, in the field, uh, whether it's oil and gas or, or mining and metals, um, you have, or logistics, or construction, or wherever you're, you're measuring, um, you're going right into their internal ses- systems, and by doing that, you're now eliminating all of the fudgeability. That's a technical term, <laughs> <You know? laughs> the ability for them to fudge the numbers, um, and that is going to cause a lot of distress, and that is going to cause a lot of disruption. And that is going to cause a lot of reality checks for some of the larger firms like tech. I mean, tech has been reporting for a long time. They have, they spent, I kid you not, they have a department of, I don't know, 30 people that do this type of reporting every year. And it's costing them millions and millions and millions of dollars every year to do this reporting. And they still don't do it in an automated fashion. It's incredible. So. What is going to come out of this? There's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of reality checks. There's going to be a lot of uh, disruption because now we're going to see a lot of, um, you know, a lot more technology uh, coming up and, and regulations coming forward. You're going to see a lot of mergers in the standards bodies because you can't possibly expect a small oil and gas company or a small, you know, cap market, like a small cap. To be able to devote the resources, both human and um, financial, to be able to, to measure their metrics in a dedicated way um, when really they're supposed to be conducting their own business. So you have to come up with some sort of a, a, re, a real solution to this problem because they do. Most companies around the world do want to treat their, com- their employees well. They do want to do the right thing by nature, because we have to all live on this world. So they get it. What they don't do is disclose it very well, nor do they communicate it very well. So this is going to be the challenge. And I'm happy, I'm really happy that at my later years in life, I'm able to be one of the, the, uh, the participants in bringing this, uh, you know, some attention to this, to this issue. And I think we're on the right side of history, actually, Um, you know, uh, uh, coming up with a solution so that the marketplace can, can actually be part of a greater event so that this disclosure leads to better run companies. So I hope I've answered it a bit.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It's thank you for your insight on the EHG standards. Are really important in this industry for sure. So I have a question for Brian Chan now. Um, as someone with previous experience as an executive in technology and business management in many different countries, which country do you think is the most advanced in this field currently, and which would be the least? And if you have any particular experience that you can reflect upon.
3: Um I, I'm not sure about the least of these is uh, far more difficult. I, I think the um the countries that are doing I would say better uh than others. And it also has its positive negative size. Uh, I, I believe uh, some of these uh South Asian countries uh including uh like uh, India, um and China, um they are some of the countries who are doing uh, doing this uh, very well, in the sense that the, the like, I'll use a few examples, like it, um, taking all the politics aside and the restrictions aside, the underlying ability, right, in China, for example, the ability, if you, like a lot of people talk about the, the great uh, Chinese firewall, right, that is restrictions to to, to freedom, liberty, right, and, and the sharing of information. But if you think about like, from the technology perspective, the ability to filter in minutiae, like from videos to text messages to unstructured media, the ability of the firewall to filter information is tremendous. Like if you, if you apply the same technology to to financial reporting, to the like to Fintrack, right, it would be amazing in terms of its power. Right, and I think the the in in asian countries particularly unfortunately more, more autocratic countries they tend to have a great ability to do uh surveillance of their citizens like from the activities in on on the internet to when they walk on the street going into the shop right and we, if you think about the flip side of, of in 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 the americas in the us and in canada for a, a company like amazon to have like people like stores that have no people inside no 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 employees inside. You walk in, they sit, they recognize your face and, and you have an account with them, you pick things from Shelby and then you walk out. Like it's starting to become a reality. But the, the, the protection of privacy aspect is gonna it is gonna create a big barrier in countries like um, in, in, in in North American culture. Right? Just, just an example of asking, uh, having lived in the US for a long time in recent in recent months in the past year, just the ability to ask like a lot of US citizens to wear a mask is a problem. Right? So 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 you have the the, the cultural aspect uh, of of all these like regulatory, like regardless of technology, like that would become barriers to making it better. Like where auto autocratic countries right, can, can do that. Um, like in In Asia, a lot of countries, as I mentioned earlier, are, are going to like uh, real name registration from your cell phone to like to verify your identity. and that go, goes a long way in terms of like uh, legal tech and rec tech and, and and fintech. Like being able to verify the identity is the biggest challenge today in all the compliance on the consumer aspect. Right? and also for and also for companies as well. you think about a lot of the money laundering, uh, activities um, uh, like uh, domiciled in um, in countries where they're not as established or they go out their way to protect the identity of a company right there's a lot of reports on on companies where they dom- domicile in in, in in the British Virgin Islands and and like they all there are all ways to to like skim like avoid all these like FinTrack, FinTech uh, 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 technology. And um, now like some of these countries because of their underlying technology like uh, being used in, in other aspects, the ability to link information is also an important aspect because that would like overcome the challenges of some of the legacy companies. Like which are islands of information within their like within the four walls of their, their data center, right? All stored in different disk, different media, right? So the ability, the technology to link information is also important to, to uh, like Laurie mentioned, reporting, right? Like why do people take like so many so so much time to create a report, which chances are all the raw data is stored on stored on uh, 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 magnetic media. Is because they have to spend time to correlate the information, right? Like um, no, no, uh, no criticism to the finance community. They love their spreadsheets. Spreadsheets are the worst places to put information. Okay, and then yeah. uh, like so, the the um, fortunate the the promise of the future. Like again, as Laurie mentioned, it comes from like your generation. Like the like the X, Y, C generation, the more the Y and C generation are very, very liberal in sharing your data online without fear, without fear, right? That's a, that's a good sign in, in, in a sense that the, the day will come where information is so democratized, but as well as protected, that you don't have to worry about when a message arrives that somebody's spamming it or somebody is like, impo- like, like imposter of somebody else, right? So this is this is something that will come in your generation uh, throughout your professional career.
1: Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with your points about like uh, China specifically with their social credit score and their facial recognition. It really is like quite advanced with all of the technology that they have. Uh, so next I
3: have a question. i to add, this is a country, a lot of the Asian countries do not have a credit bureau system like different mm-hmm. credit score
1: yet they're lending money to a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um I'm gonna move on to Kashik. Uh so given your experiences in internal auditing, do you believe the push towards RegTech has changed the auditing process? And if so, are there any experiences that you can share which highlight these changes?
4: Uh sure. Um uh, so I I'll talk about you know the changes as well as what's not changed in in the uh, yeah, I, you know, again, I mean, internal audit is 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 a is a phrase. Really, it's it's making sure that people are doing the right thing. That that's really what internal audit is all about. So, what's what's really changed in internal audit is, you know, gone are the days of traditional internal audit where you're going after the fact and saying, hey, you know, let me take a look at what you did in the past, and then I'm going to, you know, come up with my observations, and I'm going to help you uh, address those observations so that in the future, if you have the same thing coming up, you'll do it right okay so that that has that is rapidly changing <clears throat> no more of that right in internal audit is is getting sophisticated uh you know uh, concepts like a i and and r p a are entering the internal audit world as well right i mean internal auditors also you know uh, are are being forced to embrace technology so <clears throat> if you grew up as an internal auditor or as an accountant in the past and and you know growing up as an internal auditor now if you don't have uh, an inclination towards technology, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong profession. Um, a, a lot of the internal audit that, that that is taking place right now, is it's called agile. It means, you know, the internal auditors are alongside business, moving along with what business is doing to make sure that, you know, look, if if, if you need to put the speed breaker because you're going too fast, and you're going to knock somebody off. Um, there's no point in, in giving that observation or giving that advice after you've knocked somebody down, the the objective is to prevent all of that. <clears throat> so so the, the the internal audit landscape is changing significantly. Um, you know um, there, there's 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 a lot of technology that's being used in internal audit. Uh, artificial intelligence is something that is being used. You know predictive uh, models. I mean you design those models so that you plug those those those, those technologies. Uh, you know, into the business. So when, when those transactions, when those financial transactions happen, somebody's watching over those transactions on the fly. Okay, um, what's really not changed about the way we're doing business, and we talk about, you know, Lori talked about policies, and and Brian talked about data, is is the G factor of of the ESG, the governance, and that governance comes from from people, right? Um, there's there's always a a challenge because you know when you're running a business, you want to make money, but how do you make money the right way, and and who's ensuring that that happens? So, uh, the to me, I mean, you know, governance is something that I, I'm not sure how you introduce technology in governance because you know it's the mindset, right? Unless you unless you're going to remove my brain and, and put in something that's uh, you know got a piece of tech that's going to force me to do the the right thing, uh, I I don't think that's going to work. So. So I think, you know, as, as, as a young crowd, and I think you're perfectly positioned to make sure that when you think about what you do, uh, you know, think about doing it the right way. Uh, you could have all the policies in the world. You could have all the regulations in the world, but if nobody's following those regulations, if those regulations are not being monitored, communicated, monitored, and, and you know, there's no training, then, then nobody's going to follow that. Um, <clears throat> in, in my, in my career, I mean, uh, w- what I do a, a lot is, you know, um, lo- lots of my clients, they are, they're service providers, right? And when they're providing a service either to a financial institution or, or to an oil and gas company, um, that oil and gas company or you know, that, that their client, they're, they're interested in knowing can they trust the that company and, and and so what i do is is you know help them build a, an internal controls framework uh, and and the output of that is what what's called a system organization's control report that that framework per se has got a lot of good stuff in it. it 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 takes a look at you know how you run the company to you know how you run the operations but then a lot of my clients they ask me saying what's the minimum that i need to do to get this report to my client because i need to stay in business right so that that challenge will always be there and i think you know as when 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 you grow up and when you've got something make, yes it, it it's going to be tough because you'll always be i mean if you if you have a company then and the objective of the company is to make money and you all of a sudden you've got investors those investors want you to you know give them good return it's not going to be easy to to demonstrate that yeah you're doing it the right way but but i think you know if you if you keep on that and if you keep pushing on that uh, it'll take time, but I think eventually we'll get there. So, <clears throat> so that that's how that's how I take a look at it. It's it's not it's not audit anymore, but it's 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 walking alongside with business, making sure that they're doing the right things.
0: Thank you, Koshik. Uh, it's very interesting to see the trade-off between uh, building trust and cost cutting um, from a firm's perspective, and uh, hopefully, technology's uh, role in bridging that gap. Um, So I guess this ends our panel discussion agenda. Um, We will now move on to uh, Q&A. There is a lot of interesting things that have been said, and uh, maybe some people in the audience would want to ask uh, questions. And now that is the time to do so So in the question part of the chat box. uh, So feel free to do that. We will read out the questions out loud um, to Laurie, Koshik and Brian. And if uh, you, you guys can jump in and answer the question uh, whenever you feel comfortable, com- comfortable or you feel like uh, you would like to answer the question. So we got our first question um, in the chat box and it says, how do domestic Canada-based reg tech companies that have international clients Deal with the changing standards and benchmarks of other countries, for example, recent U.S. trends toward deregulation.
2: Well, let me take a stab at this. Whatever the states does, we do. Um, So we don't ever lead the process we used to. We used to. I can't say that we never did. But we used to lead the uh, the charge when it came to uh, regulatory policy and, and uh, you know, technology changes and whatnot. Um, Canada was very much at the forefront uh, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, but uh, we have lagged in that area. And, um, um, you know, the trend is if the U.S. does something, then we watch how it folds, you know, it, it unfolds. And then uh, we follow suit. Um, and are now if, if you're a reg tech company and you all have international clients, uh, you do have to meet the obligations of the country in which they are do- conducting their businesses. So you do tend to have, uh, that's like with trading systems. Let's look at that. Just trading systems alone. That's why it's so um, you know, when you're building a trading system, you, you really have to understand the landscape and the the capabilities that you are conducting that system in. Um, and if you have, you know, uh, tax um, uh, impacts uh, on one side, like the Canadian, and then you have uh, deregulation going on in the U.S., uh, just simply FATCA alone, just the, the regulation of FATCA to be able to monitor FATCA alone is an incredibly, so incredibly uh, onus. Um, the onus is just so hard. It's so big uh, to be able to monitor all of the aspects of FATCA reporting uh, because it's so, di- you know, it, it, it just, is ch- it's different between the companies and the countries and whatnot. And if you are bridging different countries, um, you have to respond to the regulations that occur in that country, um, you know. And one of the largest changes that's coming up, and and it and it's not AI, and it's not blockchain, and it's not crypto. Although crypto is impacting it in a big way you know, these days, um, is actually the exempt market, the private markets out there in the world, are increasing eight percent. A year over year, exponentially around the world, that's huge. Those are huge numbers, um, and so that private market is changing. Like the uh, Regulation A plus in the in the U.S. is changing everything. It's the changing the way that we do business and conduct our buys and sells on the on the open markets, and it is an incredibly democratizing event, and that is what's going to drive. Um, you know it's going to drive change going forward um, so that so it's you guys it's you I keep go- going back to you it's your generation and your subsequent generation that is going to be lead the charge and actually not even lead the charge because charge has been led it's actually applying the changes to the marketplace that's going to make an impact in all sorts of ways And yes, companies have to address it. If they have, if my customers come first, if they ask for something, I have to deliver it to them. I hope I've answered the question.
0: (laughs) Yes, uh, this is, this has been fruitful. Thank you, uh, Lori. Um, We got another question coming in. Um, So this question is. Ta- asking if you can expand on the role, benefits, and drawbacks of implementing AI and or blockchain in Rectech. So that can be FCRM and GSC.
3: Uh, let, let me uh, have a crack at it. I, I think the, the implementation of uh, AI um, is, is uh, fundamentally based on like, the technology itself is, is, is mature. Like, um in fact like AI itself existed a long time quite a long time ago like in um, in when people started building new networks some like 15 uh, at least 15 years ago on credit card uh, transaction monitoring like the the, the AI uh, ability matured today because of the, the tremendous increase in in the computing power of uh, machines uh, these days which like leads to the ability to curate a lot of data Right. Like in the implementation of AI, the biggest challenge is the curation of the data and creating the business rules who, that would govern how the like how how the system work in terms of understanding the intelligence behind the data. Right. I'll use an example of the medical profession. Right. Um, I, IBM's uh, Watson, which is their their AI engine, have been used to uh, to diagnose uh, diseases. Right. Um, uh, for like a number of years now, right? and how they implemented that system involved a lot of highly trained professionals right? feeding a system uh, with a lot of the data of medical medical uh, cases, right? uh, diagnosis to 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 uh, treatment all the data, and then curate that data to form an like artificial intelligence opinion or to diagnose these disease. Right. This is very, very much the same in the legal profession or in FinTech or in, in FinTrack, right? is finding the, the right professionals that would like, first of all, like, um, just the data to be reliable, then feed the system with the data, curate, allow the system to curate the data and then allow the artificial intelligence engines to learn over time. So um, that is not a, like a process that you can speed up as much as the, the, the computer can consume a lot of information, but if it, if it consumes a lot of inaccurate information, right, and curate inaccurate information, the end result is far more dangerous than if you, you spend months using people to do to compliance reporting.
4: Yeah, maybe I can add to that. Is you know I would like to believe that the technologies AI and and, and blockchain were built to to do something good, right? And 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 really that's what they're doing. Um, to Brian's point, you know, again, <laughs> I'm going to bring the human factor in. It, it it's it's us as human beings that are programming the AI logic, right? Uh, we're telling the computer what to do. So again, if if we if the intent was to use AI for good purposes, then then we have a lot of good coming out of that technology and and to brian's point you know i mean <clears throat> garbage in garbage out so if your data is garbage then then you know the ai is going to is it's not going to work right it's going to give you bad results so again you know think, think about what you do um, you know again for the uh, i am a big proponent of doing the right things you know at the beginning uh, as much as you can because because to brian's point i mean all of a sudden you know if you if you're not doing the right thing at the beginning the the cost of uh repairing that or or correcting that is, is huge right and then you know that could lead to frustrations and then all of a sudden you've got you know uh, we we're, we we're recreating what happened 40 50 years ago with uh with the the technology uh, with the financial services industry right you all of a sudden you've got various disparate technologies that can't talk to each other and then you've got data that's dispersed across the board which uh you know uh, leaves it open uh, and vulnerable to to people who, who want that data, who want to mine the data and use it for malicious intent. So so the bad guys are always going to be there. But, but you know, I mean, obviously, you can be the good guy and, and you can do the right things uh, right from the get-go. And
3: I, and I, I want to add to Koshik's point. Right? But don't forget, whatever sophistication like brought on by technology, the same technology, the same sophistication is available to the criminals as well. Right, and I, I'll use an example of encryption. Right, uh, back in the days when I was uh, doing programming, like eight, eight bit encryption is is hard to break. Like today, we're up to like, like 1, to two fifty six two thousand bits of encryption. And there's a saying when I ran a cyber security group in uh, at this company, we we have a belief, we have a like kind of a principle, and say, if you're a target of an attack, somebody will break in. Right. The, the the best prevention is not to become a target. Like you guys know, like on social media, if you become a target, you're dead. <laughs> there's no there's no prevention. Right. So so I think the like so in as much as we're raising against time to 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 improve regulation, reg tech, legal tech, and fintech. Right. The same technology is available that people will try to break it and try to skirt the compliance.
1: Right. Hey, that sounds great. Thank you so much, uh, Brian and Kashik for your insights on to the impact of new technologies (laughs) that are happening in the 21st century. Um, I'm going to move on to the next question. So we have a question for Lori. Uh, You talked about how ESG and how institutions are increasingly mandating firms to include ESG reportings. What are some metrics that measure firms ESG and also what is the difference between ESG and SRI?
2: Sure. Well, let me take the the, the last question first uh, so that I can then um, tell you what the difference is. ESG is a set of criteria that everybody reports on that have like standards and so it's a much broader response SRI is driving these standards and driving companies to report their obligations and their just you know make make these disclosures and and, and report on their performance um, so what's happening is again it's money, talking very loudly, so that um, they are pushing, so you lot are pushing the companies to say, all right, I'm going to disclose, I mean, here's the, here's the thing, guys, um, a- environment is easy to actually m- measure, because if you're putting out, pumping out a, a, a ton of carbon dioxide equivalency, so you're using, you know, hydrochloroformin, hydrochloro Hydrofluorocarbons, um, and you, you've come and you, you measure the carbon equivalency of that, it's enormous impact. It's awful. When you do the calculations, and our systems do, um, it's an awful result. And so when you see it in your face with the, the metrics that, that they're asking for, it's very easy to see the impact, the negative impact on on our world and on our people. However, uh, so the environment is actually the easy part. It's the social and the governance that it takes a little bit of skill. And that is because we have to change people's perspectives and people's minds and people's actions. And that comes in, well, I have, you know, we still have only 2.3% of uh, diversity on boards, 2.3%. 2.3%. And we have changed in the past three years to 2.3%. So it's, it, it, ha- it was a hell of a lot less three years ago. But we only have 2.3% of inclusion and diversity on board representations. I sit on boards. And I'm telling you to try and get another woman to be on a board or another woman of color or someone of color to be on a board is insane. It's incredibly insane. And yet these are the people that we conduct our business with every day. So if they're not represented at the table, who the hell are we you know, who are we doing business with? How are we going to change policies? How are we going to change, you know, our attitudes? So it takes a little longer on the social and governance side. And the governance side, as Kaushik was saying, um, it is very sensitive because it is the board. It is the board and the senior management that has to address those issues in a, an ethical and forward-thinking manner. So are companies disclosing those metrics? Absolutely, because those are the questions that they have to answer. They have to answer how many people are on the board, what their cultural makeup is, whether they have indigenous representation. Because let's face it, a lot of these companies that are, you know, uh, mining and metals and oil and gas, they're in communities with a lot of indigenous and, and native peoples around the world, and so they better disclose how they're how they're acting and how they're impacting those worlds. Um, and so it is it is uh, being reported. Is it being reported as aggressively, you know, now more and more they're going to have to? Uh, In the oil and gas business, it's mandated, so they have no choice. Um, Is it going to take time? Absolutely. And do I think, you know, I recently, you know, was interviewed by McLean's magazine and it'll be coming out soon, but, and they keep coming after me for different things. Um, which I still don't figure, can't figure out, you know, why they keep bugging. But um, one of the one of the questions I always come back to is, if you want to actually change something, then damn, legislate it. That's the only way you're going to change anything. And so, if you want inclusion and diversity at the front at, at the table, then bloody legislate it, mandate it. You want women? You want women of color? You want people of color? Legislate it put some mandates on it because otherwise it's never going to change. And so I'm hoping that you, all of you collectively start that process and push that mandate, push it as hard as you can, because that's what's going to drive change. That is it.
4: In addition to mandating it, you know, introduce some penalties too, right?
2: (laughs) That's exactly right. And that's what speaks. Mandates, you know, measured with Penalties because if you don't meet like look at Boston Boston and California have finally mandated uh, that or Massachusetts rather and uh, California have mandated the number of uh, Diverse people that have to be on a board the that's the only reason now where they have enormous representation now on corporate boards on public boards now the p- private ones still are lagging, but the public ones, they've had to change. Why? Because there were penalties that went along with the mandate. I agree with you, Kaushik.
0: Thank you, uh, Lori and Kaushik. That's been very insightful, seeing how um, legislation is very important in uh, internalizing what now can maybe um, arguably be defined as an externality. Um, So we can go with one last question Um, due to time constraints. um, We will be ending uh, the panel discussion with this question before moving to the closing remarks. So this question talks, uh, gives us a bit of more background before it arrives to the question. And it says, as recently as last week, security brokers and dealers, and even some exchanges in the United States halted trading on certain equities, to meet regulatory and de- depository requirements. Many have called for reform and equity settlements, brokerage fr- risk mitigation, and greater transparency. In your view, are Canadian brokerage firms and exchanges better equipped to deal with regulatory requirements? And how can RegTech in this context help to remedy unexpected uncertainty and volatility in marketplaces?
2: Well, who wants to take that one? Um- I, well, I'll start since with you know, I'm used to trading systems and whatnot. Um and I do deal with compliance. Okay, so what happened is they got screwed. okay? Here's the bottom line. The customers of the platforms where they were told, come and sell and buy with us, and we will always protect you and we will always, Um, you know, put your, your, you will not be treated any differently than a hedge fund that has billions and billions of dollars and can influence the markets. Well, they got screwed. Okay. That's what happened. That's my point of view. If you're going to have, um, a platform that says, uh, you know, come on to us and we're going to take your money and we're not going to halt trading because you have moved market like hedge funds do all the time. Let's face it, hedge funds are out there to capture the the spread. um, You know when they can take advantage of it. Right, that's all it is. That's what they do, and they do it well. And in fact, a lot of the hedge hedge fund companies, how you can tell if they're really successful is if their location of their physical location, their address, is right next to the exchange, because they don't even want the lag. In the in the cables running between the exchange systems and their companies, okay, so they will actually physically park themselves and their internal servers right next to the exchange headquarters, okay. So if you see a company like that, you know that's what they're doing. They're playing the they, they're playing the the, the black box uh, capabilities. All right. So go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. No, oh, no, go ahead. Finish. Yeah. Okay. So what? You know, so yes, they got screwed, but at the same time, um, you know, there there is a fact and there is a reality to this, and that is the big butt guys are always going to move markets, and they are always going to push for their advantage. And unfortunately, what's going to happen is again, I'm going to bring it back to you lot, uh, is that you are going to have to make this change, and by voicing, by voicing your Dismay at how this was handled, and yes, they will have to change. They will have to change because they can't have a set of rules for one body of of uh, investors and have another set of rules for another body of investors. Go ahead, Brian.
3: Yeah, I I think that in the in the Canadian environment, Canadian Canada is probably one of the, the countries that are quite strong in regulating the financial services industry, but. Uh, an undercurrent of what happened in the last couple of weeks is, is more concerning. Is instead of like the, the the big traders used to be, the fund managers, the, the, the big investment firms.
2: Uh-huh.
3: What you see in the last two weeks is like the average retail consumer investor getting organized on social media, and that's <laughs> operating. So um, now like there's no legislation to legislate. Like this is like essentially fixing the market, but it's through social media of like by word of mouth, right? It's not, like, it's loosely organized, but it is fixing the market. Like, the, the game shop uh, thing is, is so, so it would be interesting to see how like the US uh, is creating a uh, congressional panel to look into this. Like it would be interesting to see the outcome of that, which will will probably come up with some some more regulations or legislation, which in fact influence Canada. Um, but like outside of the uh, outside of North America, you, you, you will see uh, a lot of these like consumer-based uh, forces at play more and more.
0: Uh-huh.
4: Yeah. The other thing also is when you take a look at the culture between the two countries, you know, generally speaking, uh, the the culture here in Canada is, is to be a bit more conservative, whereas in the U.S. it's, it's more taking risks, right? So, <laughs> I mean, my view is that they tend to let things slide a little bit, and, and you know, and when they hit the media and the press and when the, when the news gets out, you know, that's where they want to bring in some more regulation, right? So uh, that's just something that I dot- noticed.
2: However, one of the things that we are doing and we have to be very cautious of here in Canada is that uh, the, the amount of debt, uh, the amount of debt is through the roof. And God forbid those interest rates start climbing. Everybody's going to lose everything. And that's something that is very unsexy. It's really a, a reality. And um, kids are, are living by the skin of their teeth. Uh, they think that they can do everything on a debt-driven uh, environment, and I'm telling you, it's it's uh, it's going to have a real comeuppance pretty damn soon. Um, so um, that is is what Canada is not taking care of very well.
3: I right? think I think increasingly, the, um, the globally, I think people are trading on on news rather than uh, That's that's a danger. Yeah.
1: All right, thank you all so much for your thoughts about the changes in volatility of the American Canadian financial market. That was very interesting, especially considering recent events. Um, So that wraps it up for our Q&A and we would like to thank everyone for coming and a special thanks to our guest speakers, Lori, Brian and Kaushik for taking the time out of their busy schedules and providing us with such thoughtful insights into the world of RegTech. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Tech Talks. We'll see you in the next one.